There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. That's the job of the government, is it not? Yeah. But it's us that still go out, walk for lungs away, pay for all the taxes, pay for absolutely everything. I've not seen any guards. I've seen more parking enforcement officers than I've seen guards. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to not be myself. And there's nobody going to take that from me. Join the conversation. Call 0818 Morning, Thursday. Always know when you're coming to the end of the week. Do you know why? Thursday's bin day. <laughs> the random things that come into your head. 0818 96 96 96 is the number. Just something, it's in your papers, it's been on your radio news all day yesterday and all morning this morning. I don't mean another day before the committees for RTE. We'll, we'll pause that one now until something more comes out something else comes out, which I've no doubt that it will. But, and I mentioned this yesterday at another Eroctus committee, this colossal bill for the children's hospital that is, like, it's a year behind time. There's 27 rooms finished out of 3,000 rooms. It's supposed to open in the autumn. You can forget that, I'd say, till next autumn. But the cost is running to 2.2 billion. BAM, who are the contractors, and the board of the hospital seem to be fighting each other on, on every street corner of Dublin to try and get the thing built. Do you remember when we were talking here about Connolly for Kids a few years ago? The people who wanted to have the National Children's Hospital built out of the old James Connolly site in Blanchester, I think back now to the coverage we did of that, to the people we spoke to about that, and I'm thinking, if we were, if they were telling us the truth at the time, they'd have that hospital built and opened now, and possibly half even paid for. And yet we have this great big hole in the ground over at St James's, and 2.2 billion euro of taxpayers' money being being poured into it. But that's what came out yesterday at another one of the Oireachtas committees. And I'm just a little bit surprised. There's not half of the outrage that filled our newspapers about Ryan Tuberty's pay packet or Joe Duffy's pay packet or any of those pay packets. There's not half 
of the the fury with which our papers were filled about the ridiculous overrunning cost of the children's hospital and the incredible time it's taking to build it and the fact that they were told this would flip and well happen too. Do you know? Just a thought. Just me. Because I remember the Connolly for Kids thing and I remember reading into it and talking to great people like uh, uh, Corkman, Dr. Finn Brannock. Passionately appealed for it to go to Connolly. I spoke to parents who were going up and down every week with their six children. They said, Connolly, perfect place to do it. Doctors, pediatricians, ambulance drivers who said, take it to Connolly. Don't put it into James's. It's a mess before it even starts. You have to wonder, were we all proved right? Were everyone proved right? I know that Finn Brannock hasn't been well of late and I wish him well if if he's listening or anyone belong to him is listening. But Finn Brannock, great paediatrician, predicted problems like this before a shovel had been swung on this national children's hospital. And I know that... Sorry, lads, that wasn't on the script. That wasn't on the running order. I just wanted to, to, to mention it because... When I heard those figures yesterday, eye-watering sums of money, ridiculous delays, 27 rooms ready out of 3,000, and they're supposed to open the damn thing before the end of this year. I just thought, okay, okay, we all know why people were so outraged with the, the money being spent the way it was being spent in RTE. We all know why people are that outraged. The calls I took here and could have continued to take for hours on end, days on end, I don't think it's getting the same amount of furious coverage the the cost of the of the children's hospital I don't maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm wrong I'm open to you if I am 0818 96 96 96 let us begin by going back to yesterday's program when I took a call from a good friend of the opinion line and a good personal and dear friend of mine Joe Byrne of Joseph's Hair Salon and I said that normally Joe rings me about fundraiser that he's doing or things he's doing for people connected to Adele House or, you know, children getting school books and school bags and school uniforms for children, selection boxes at Christmas, Easter eggs at Easter, all those things that Joe does. And he also always says he just does it because he can. He does it because he can. He does it because he wants to. But yesterday, Joe was talking to me about a different thing. Um, For the last 37 years, Joe has had a friend in his life he calls his best friend. Ryan's a grown man now and Ryan is in his 40s. Ryan has severe cerebral palsy and complex needs as a result of it. And in recent weeks, Joe uh, lost another dear friend, Ryan's mom. Ryan's mom died very, very suddenly, one Sunday night recently, leaving a situation where Ryan, who was dependent on his mom and dependent on those around him to be cared for, And Joe talked to me yesterday about what had happened since. Ryan would go to his day service and then Joe and Darren would see him in the evenings and his mum would look after him. And then in the mornings, she'd look after him again. And Joe told that story. You'll find the podcast of the full interview wherever you get your, your, your opinion line podcasts. But here's just a clip from yesterday. I asked Joe... Where, where Ryan was now, uh, since his mom had passed away. He's down in John Birmingham's at night time. They're absolutely PJ. I cannot tell you 
and a maze and staff between Antares up in Montanay, John Burnham's down at Lachine, and I go from everybody to administrators to nurses to carers. They're unbelievable. How quickly did they swing into action? Mum died on a Sunday night. How quickly did, did they find him, say, a place in the John Birmingham Centre? Within three days. Wow. But the thing for me, PJ, is that a parent, they worry so much. Yeah. They go through this, this, this of, oh, what will happen him? Will he get the care I can give him? And I just want to say out there that the services out there at the moment, the staff, everyone are brilliant. It's the worst fear. And look, I can be very deeply personal here, Joe, as you know, and you, you've met my boy. It's our worst fear. Like, what happens to him if something happens to us? It's, it's every parent's fear. But I think what you wanted to talk to me about here is the services are there. They will kick in. It's difficult for him, but he's being taken care of. He's been taken care of, and he's been taken care of 24-7. That was, uh, as I said, the, that full interview is available wherever you get your opinion line podcasts. But it prompted a call uh, from from John. Um, John, good morning to you. You you're delighted for Ryan, but that's not your experience. Morning. Yeah, it is uh, yesterday morning. I was um, when I heard that on the radio. Um, that has not been my experience. Okay. Both my wife and myself have been unwell in the last year. My wife got a stroke and I have a heart condition. Uh, so we did the responsible thing and we went to meet the HSE, re what would be the situation of residential care for my 36-year-old son, uh, profoundly disabled son in the future. Tell me about him, Forrest. His, his needs are quite intensive. Yeah, he, he, he's um, 36 years of age. He's about uh, six or seven months mentally. Uh, he's doubly incontinent he's severe epilepsy you know and he has osteoporosis Uh, and yet at the same time he's a chap who kind of really lives in the here and now and doesn't worry about things he doesn't have to because parents do it for him you know there you go is it a 24 hour care situation John yes he is and he's lived here with us for the last 36 years and tis just when we both got unwell last year we said we'd better just kind of, uh, you know, do the responsible thing and just check out what would be the situation. Does he have services by day? We do. We have um, an excellent service about 90% of the time. It's a Rolls Royce service, you know. Yeah. Where does he go? What does he do? He goes up to Cup Foundation, the same place where that other chap goes, you know, and um, it's a, there's staff up there on the ground that are just absolutely fantastic, you know, fantastic. So you went to check out what might happen if you and your wife suddenly weren't around? We did, and we were at a meeting with the HSE and a few other people involved, and um, we were told in Cork there's 800 people on the waiting list waiting for residential care. And the only way that list is coming down is if one of the clients die. That's 800 people in Cork. Now, what it is in Ireland, okay, and like there is no plan you know, there is no plan to deal with that. We have a, a minister at the moment who has 65 billion of a leftover and he wants to bank it, you know. Mm. And we have a government then as well that are absolutely fighting Apple that they don't want their money. You yeah. Know? 
And yes, we have these 800 people who, uh, and look, we're both in our 60s, okay? There's a lot of people in their 80s and uh, 80-odd-year-olds who are looking after children, young adults with a similar disability, you know? What did they say to you that would happen to your boy if the worst came to the worst? Well, we asked that if anything did happen to us and we were told that he'd probably be put into a nursing home up in County Loud whatever would be available. And we were horrified with that, you know? You don't sleep very easily after hearing something like that. You don't, you don't. And, and, you know, that chap yesterday morning, I'm really glad that the service worked out for him. To remind listeners again, it it took them from from the moment that Ryan's mom died very, very suddenly. Three days later, he had a place in the John Birmingham Centre Yes. That's how it should be. Well, what it should be is that my son would gradually go into a place. Yeah. That he'd go there for one day a week, then two days a week, then three days a week. Then if something like this happened, it's just going from home to home. Like that chap talking about that they were trying to tell that lad that he was on holidays in somewhere, you know? Yeah. Do you know? Uh, like, this should be a gradually built up way of... Trans, transitioning from one service into the other. I know? think I get where you're coming from, John, that when kids are, for example, in primary school, from the minute yes. they go into primary school, they should be preparing for them in secondary school. From the moment your boy went into daycare, going home to you in the evening, it's then they should have been saying, well, what happens when his parents aren't able? Can tell you? That there is planning, okay? But I can assure you, there's no submission going into the the government for the next budget, re-getting a place for those 800 people. 800 in Cork alone? Alone, yes, yes, you know? Like, the only way that number is coming down is if some client dies. Wow. You know? And if if I die tomorrow, my wife dies tomorrow, yes, there'll be a big emergency and... Maybe it'll be the same as that chap. Maybe they'll get him a place after three days in Cork, but maybe it'll be County Louth as well, you know? And, like, his need, it needs to be a place that's kind of um, specially designed to suit his needs, not thrown into a nursing home. Yeah. Do you know? Like, my son doesn't sleep in a bed, okay? He sleeps in a soft play area, and there's four or five mattresses on the floor, it is all cushions and blankets and and he moves around all night long. He doesn't sleep in a bed. Do you know? It sounds to me, John, that what you are dealing with is a a thirty six year old infant. Oh yeah, he's 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 um nine months mentally nine months of age, you know. How do you manage? How do we manage? Um, when you have a disabled son or daughter in, in this country, you go on to sacrifice your life for them. Your life just goes away up in the smoke. I mean, I would have loved a different life completely. But you know what? This is the life I chose. And you adore him. I do, yeah. And I do it all over again tomorrow, faster, you know. But at the same time, it's like my wife is away tonight. I have a care here till half a seven. When she goes out at half a seven, I'm locked into the house tonight. You know? And what does he do? do, do will he go off to sleep by himself or what does he have? What do you have to do to get him ready, say, for an evening? He'll get dressed for bed. He'll go into bed and into a soft area. There's padding up the wall and there's, there's camera there checking on him and, and he must have, I'd say, 
three or four hundred soft ties out there that make music. So he just tears away with them and just falls asleep. And when he falls asleep, then we go and just throw a blanket over him and make him comfortable cushion pillows. And generally, when he's well, he will stay asleep tonight. But when he's unwell, we'll look past the night with him. I was just going to ask that. Do you, do you, will you get an opportunity to sleep for a few hours? Oh, I will, yeah. I get to sleep for a few hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're constantly on alert, aren't you? Oh, yeah, constantly on alert, yeah. yeah. Wow. Constantly. We're sleeping with a monitor on, like, you know. You have a baby monitor and a 36-year-old man. That's hard, yeah. John. Yeah. My heart yeah. goes out yeah. to you, fella. And, like, um... I know what your worry is. You don't even have to put it into words. Your worry is, if I'm not here, if his mum isn't here, who'll do that for him? Yeah. And look, I remember somebody telling me a long time ago, if something happened to us, they won't look after him the way we look after him, but they would look after him well at the same time. But it wouldn't be the standard of what we look after him. Okay? But mm. like, I need to know that, no, not when I die. You know? Yeah. I need to take my last breath in this world knowing my son has been looked after. Not like that other person who died and didn't know that her son was going to be looked after. Yeah. You're talking about Ryan's you know? mom. Yes. Yeah. 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 You know? A woman who I knew well, you know, um, spent many years there in a picket line placard. Oh, you knew? Oh, John, you knew her, did you? And we won't. We've. I've. Agree, I've agreed with 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 Joe. I won't use her name. You knew her. Oh, I did. Yes, I did. We were on part of the one association. Oh. The people in Dublin used to refer to us as the Munster Militia. So you know Ryan as well. I do, of course. He's in the same school as my same class as my son. Ah, oh. they are class buddies, you know. It's a terribly small world, isn't it, John? Isn't it, yeah? Yeah, yeah, you know? But, like, you know, this government seems to be able to find money for everything they want, you know? Yeah. By our disability, you know? Like, um, and I don't want to bring other situations into it, but, like, I thought it was ironic on the Evening Echo one night a few weeks ago, right? The front page of the Evening Echo was a father who could not get his autistic child into a school. Mm-hmm. Okay, and on page five of the same echo was the minister opening uh, a school and the principal was coming out saying he thinks no, there should be actually a school dedicated to Ukrainians completely. There was just something wrong with that picture, wasn't there? When you look at it that way, John, it's hard to disagree with you. I wish you a good day and I wish you ease. Thank you. I hope that the worry that you must live with will be eased someday. You know, when you see this guy smile every day, it, it makes it all work right, you know. John, mind yourself, my friend. Okay, thank you. Thank, bye-bye. See ya. Yeah. Yeah. No words required from me there. Thank you, John. 0818 96 96 96. Uh, what's now? Delighted for Ryan that Ryan has found a place and a place has been found for Ryan within the services so quickly. Should be like that for everybody. But because of massive waiting lists. Oh, hold on. Where have we heard that before? Because of massive waiting lists. And uh, a system that's completely overcrowded and under-supported, then it's not going to be his case. A nursing home in County Loud might be where his wonderful 36-year-old infant would have to go. Yeah. 
Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. I have the most generic of faces. There's somebody working in the bonds at the moment. We're separated twins or something. So everyone thinks you're working the bonds? Everybody thinks I work in the bonds. The good thing I have in a generic face is you could do a crime and then all of a sudden they're handcuffing you on the bonds. <laughs> Lorraine and Ross in the morning starts this Monday. Test drive the award-winning Skoda Enyaq electric SUV at No DC Cars. Skoda sales dealer of the year. Corks 96 FM. Happy, happy news here at 96 FM Towers this morning. News and you'll know of him and you'll have heard of him. Act in the Egypt on a Saturday with, uh, with Demi. Darren Johnson. Our Darren has become a daddy. Himself and Tasha are our parents, proud parents this morning to Phoebe Eleanor Johnston, born about 11 o'clock last night. We are absolute, she's a, an absolute little homedinger. She's a little beaut. We got a picture this morning. So Darren and Tasha, our best to you guys and welcome to the crazy world into which your parents brought you, Phoebe Eleanor Johnson. That's lovely. 0818 96 96 96. We have a chance for you to shop till you drop today. Uh, we'll put you up while you do it at the Clayton Hotel, Cork City. You can uh, check out Cork's boutiques and department stores and stay right there in the heart of it. The Clayton Hotel. We have uh, a night away for you with B&B and dinner for two people every day this week. We have a little sound for you. I thought yesterday was difficult. This, this, I think, is the toughest one of the week so far. All right. What is this? That's the kind of thing that kind of, if you just did one of those, would run for months on a mystery sound competition. You've got one morning, which is why we've given it to you for a few seconds. What is that sound? All right. It's associated with a hotel. That's the only thing we can tell you. Tell me what it is and your name, please. 83 96 Now, I don't know if you've seen this yet. It is on the player, on the RTE player. I watched it uh, the other night, just a little, maybe half an hour behind time, and looked at the comments of people who had been watching it. And without question or doubt, one of the most horrifying things we'd ever seen on our televisions. It was called Dairy, Ireland's Dirty Secrets. These are dairy bull calves. They look tired, hungry, thirsty. Tens of thousands are exported every year from Ireland. We went undercover to film what can happen on that journey. From the farm to the mart. From the mart to the truck. On the ferry to a transfer facility in France. And on the journey across the continent to field farms in Poland, Spain and France. It's a sad state of affairs for our industry, isn't it? If you've seen it, uh, you know who that is. That's Fran McNulty, the presenter of the programme and the guy who drove across Europe uh, filming in secret 
as part of this investigation that took many, many months. Did I just say he joins me now? Fran, shocking, horrifying stuff. Morning. Good morning, PJ. Upsetting indeed. I mean, it's, it's the one thing that a lot of people have said since the programme went out. Sorry, Fran, I just couldn't watch it through. Yeah. And uh, because I think when you see a lot of what was in the programme, in particular, uh, the car has been thrown out of trailers. That was the one that, that really yeah. shocked me. Uh, you know, you can have issues on, on farms. Everybody knows handling animals can be difficult and challenging at the best of times. But for me, the throwing the calves out of the back of the trailers was, was the worst, really. As if there were bags of blocks. Yeah, it just kind of said something. And the, the other thing that surprised me about it is the fact that some people have tried to say this is a, a few people. It is not the majority of farmers. It is definitely the minority of farmers and hauliers and mart workers. But it's still common. Mm-hmm. We saw it everywhere we went. You're an agriculture journalist for many years, specialising in that area, Fran. Were you shocked with the level of it? I was shocked with the level of it. I was, I'll be honest with you. Look, I've been knocking around farms and marts for the guts of 20 years, PJ. And uh, I, I know an awful lot of people who work in ag. I can safely say any of them I know wouldn't treat animals like that. And when we went to mart after mart and continue to see it, there is definitely a culture problem. And I've seen several farmers say online and, and text me to say, look, this has been going on for years. There's a cultural problem. There's an issue. And a lot of people as well, PJ, will in confidence say to you, I'm glad you did the story. Five months work, drone footage, following fellas across Europe to, to, to Spain. Days, hours and hours and hours of work. I'll be frank with you, a lot of what we do and how we do it, I wouldn't talk to you about because it's it's undercover work, yeah. it's surveillance. And, you know, you have to, we spend all of that time going around those locations undetected. And, and that's the key challenge in trying to tell a story. I mean, for me in journalism, the essence of a good story is telling a story which a few people don't want told, but a lot of people need to hear. There was one piece to camera that you did and, and I was saying, I hope there's no one going to come behind him and catch him. Did anyone ever turn around and tell you to F off or threaten you? Um, I'd be honest with you, no. Um, in, in, in telling the story, your, your ultimate aim is to observe, uh, but not be detected. And, and that's because if you are, it damages your ability to tell the story. Mm. And, and so that's what our, our challenge is. And that's where our skills lie in terms of, of trying to tell the story. Yes. You're putting yourself in harm's way, but we assess all of that, PJ. We do. Before yeah. we go out, we do a full assessment of what are the risks, what is the plan, and you know what to do if something yeah. goes wrong is key. I, I want the story told, but I have colleagues who are working with me uh, who we have to protect and yeah. make sure they're safe as well. Putting up a drone allows you to capture images that we'd never be able to capture before. Technology helped here. We could not have told this story without the use of drone technology. And I think the viewer will have seen that. Yeah. You know, the undercover secret filming is something we do and have done routinely for years to tell stories. But drone technology was very helpful to us and, and certainly meant that the, the public could get to see what, what a lot of people didn't want to be seen. We're, we're lucky to have the skills 
of uh, people internally here who can yeah. who can operate drones and, and do that and tell the story. And also, I think as well, it gives people a, a vision and a view. It gives you a context as well when you're looking at it, that you're not just looking at a shaky uh, piece of camera footage. You're actually saying, OK, well, that's where it is. And I think in some of the shots, you can see the port in Sherbrooke in the okay. background, you know, which, which is a different way of doing it, but absolutely essential in terms of getting this journalism on air. You followed a guy all the way to Spain and, and I was thinking to myself as I watched it, did he know you were there? Had he any idea you were there? He never waved at us, PJ. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I don't think he did. And uh, I think the first the company would have known about it is when we contacted them uh, to put the evidence we had gathered to them and seek their response. And uh, it was a long journey um, and it was a long drive. But uh, it's the only way to tell the story. And I got the sense from you that at the end of it, you were exhausted. And I'm thinking, right, there's Fran in a nice air-conditioned car, can stop for a coffee or a bite to eat. He's exhausted. Can you imagine what the poor cattle must feel like after those hours on the road? Yeah, I mean, you could see it on them. There's absolutely no doubt of it. I mean, one of the unfortunate realities of a journey like that is uh, our brakes were dictated by the driver's brakes. And uh, so you just have to keep going to keep eyes on the truck the whole way through or as you, you lose the ability to tell the story you don't have a full account of what happened and you could see it on those calves you know it's look those trucks have fans installed in them to get air inside uh, there's a water system in, in most trucks but it's a couple of hundred calves in there survival of the fittest so it's not optimum and you could see maybe the weaker calves that couldn't get uh, get to water or whatever was available to them where they had struggled I mean in most cases um, those trucks could carry up to 300 calves, which is a lot of calves in a small space. Rammed in like sardines. The Cork Marts company issued a statement in response to the programme. I don't know whether you've seen it, uh, Fran, but they say they're very disappointed at the behaviour shown in the footage uh, from our marts that are featured on the programme. Actions are certainly not acceptable and cannot be defended. It's contrary to our animal welfare policy and they attached a copy of that policy. We're disappointed. We handle approximately 70,000 calves for sale during the short season from February to May and they say they will take all actions deemed necessary to protect the welfare of the animals presented to us for sale. That's from the Cork Marts company in response to the programme. that enough, do you think? Well, Cork Marts, in fairness to them, uh, were amongst the first to respond to us uh, when we contacted them and they gave us a statement in which they pretty much outlined not that much detail but said that they would they would look at the issues that had been uncovered and it would involve I think they said at the time training at a minimum and they absolutely acknowledged up front that there were issues that needed to be addressed and that's all anybody can do and I think in the case of Cork Mars is that you know they operate so many Mars and they're, they're so large uh, they're conscious that it wasn't just at one of their marts where these issues arose. Yeah, at least they've taken note of it. You also spoke to the Heinzes, who are good friends of the programme here indeed. Uh, they were genuinely, physically disgusted by what they saw. And I think they reflect other farmers too, would you think? Yeah, and I thought it was really important uh, in this programme to have the voice of the ordinary farmer, PJ. Not a lobby group, not an organisation that has you know certain members... Uh, to keep happy or but these are people who actually farm and uh, Peter and Paula Hines are superb farmers treat their animals like the vast majority of farmers with the utmost respect are very very good at what they do and they were absolutely floored by what they saw Um, and I'm sure neither of them would mind me saying they were both upset Hmm. uh, by what they had seen 
uh, and the footage they had seen. Uh, but <laughs> on the other hand, you heard uh, Peter say he is pro-life exports. Yeah. He sees it as a vital part of the dairy business. Only time will tell what follows on from what was, and I say it to you, and the team, a fine piece of journalistic work. Fran, thank you very much. Thank you, PJ. Good to talk to you. Cheers. That's Fran McNulty, presenter of the RT Investigates programme. It's there on the player, the RT player. It's worth a look uh, if you have the stomach for it. It's a tough, tough watch, but it's it's the reality. Some people were tweeting me the other night and wondering, well, does this mean, PJ, you won't be eating meat anymore? I said, uh, do you even know me? No, it doesn't mean that. Anyway, I eat meat, I like meat, I will continue to eat meat, continue to like meat. I disapprove wholeheartedly of animal cruelty. I think it's possible to feel the same way about both. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's ninety six FM. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Feeding Cork families with delicious Griffin's New Seasons Queen. Cork's 96 FM. John, you saw the programme. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thank you for giving me an opportunity. No problem. Horrifying to watch, wasn't it? Barbaric. Barbaric abuse and mistreatment of, of those poor cows. Can you get a bit uh, closer to your mouthpiece, John? You're a bit away from it there, if you wouldn't mind. Okay, I'm as close as I can get, PJ. Is okay. that okay? Yeah, it's a bit echoey, but we'll, we'll bear with it. Go on. Okay, look, it's... And first of all, let me thank you know, Fran and his team for a fantastic piece of public service broadcasting, uh, a, a, a great documentary, uh, well worth it for, for the Irish public to see the, the horrific barbarity that's happening in, in, in this live exports industry, in our marts, in our haulage systems. Uh, it's just barbaric and horrendous. Yeah. We'd accept that it's not everybody doing it, but as Fran said, more than you would think. Well, I just listened to your interview there the, 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 with, with Fran already, and Fran says he's around agriculture for, for the last 20 years, PJ. Yeah. And, and you know, he, he's aware of people, he knows people who, you know, wouldn't engage in this practice whatsoever. Yes, we accept this, but Fran also said that, you know, everywhere he went and the team went, it was commonplace. This abuse, this mistreatment of, of the poor cows, being kicked, being hit with paddles, being prodded with, with paddles, yeah. being pull, pulled by the, by the ears and by the tails. This is all illegal. Yes, it it's, is. It's, so we're, we're talking about criminal behaviour here. And, you know, uh, it's not sufficient for the Department of Agriculture just to have its investigation on uh, the, the outcome of uh, Fran's programme. I hear some politicians calling for footage of the RT Investigates uh, programme, but there are many people who have reported uh, abuse and, and, and in, in live exports to the Department of Agriculture over many years. Indeed there are. So, Indeed there are. I've, I've, I've spoken to some of them, and you, you'd wonder, will anything follow from this this programme? You, you would hope 
that it that it would. You yourself, John, of course, are with Dogs Advocacy Ireland. You see man's best friend, for example, abused horribly all the time. Well, thank you. I, I didn't want to detract from, from Fran's RT Investigates uh, programme and to, to stick with the point. Yes, uh, like Ireland is puppy farm capital of Europe, uh, PJ. You're no, well the aware. reason I did it, John, is I wanted to broaden it out because I think as it needs to be said and, and written in large letters and put on the side of Caron Tool, if needs be, in, in letters that are 10 foot high, we're not the animal lovers we claim to be. There's a dark underbelly. Uh, yes, but the, what I would say about that, uh, PJ, is look, 49% of Irish households own a dog, for example. Yes. And, and again, like Fran is saying about the people he's encountered, friends of his in the agriculture industry, the vast majority of those people who own dogs are responsible dog owners. Of course, there are irresponsible ones. But in, in, in relation to puppy farming, this is a whole new breed for greed culture that's criminal, has, is going on for decades. And again, the authorities, and I mean uh, the government departments that share responsibility for this, and there shouldn't be any sharing, it should be one government department. Uh, it's spread across, strewn across three government departments, which means everybody's looking after us and nobody's looking after us. And in addition to that, then, we have all 31 local authorities with their finger in the pie issuing dog breeding establishment licences and they have no structure in place to inspect or or to, to investigate any consequences of fallout because, you know, we have a, a recent situation, PJ, and if it's okay for me to talk about it... Just as long as you don't name anybody and land us in trouble, do that. Well, well it, it's already in the public... I'm not going to name anybody, but it's already in the public domain. It's been reported in media... Uh, where we have a Department of Agriculture veterinary officer who who was issued with a closure notice for operating a puppy farm by Cork County Council. So now that was issued on the 23rd of May, just gone, PJ. And he, this the individual appealed the, the closure yeah. notice. Yes, it's, it's in the press, John, but it's going through the courts at present, so best to be very oh, gentle okay. with it, to say the least, because as I always like to tell people, it's not you get in trouble, it's me. Yeah, okay, okay. look, PJ, it has been through the courts, and you know, if you prefer I didn't talk about it, that's I fine. would, because no. I'm not aware of how the courts worked out. Okay, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll drop that one. But then to get back to the to the... To the uh, to the livestock exports, yes. I mean, there, there are numerous people involved here. You know, Marts, uh, staff at Marts, don't tell me that Marts aren't aware that this this has been going on. Cran is able to say that all the places they visited, it was commonplace. Mm. He also used the word culture, you know, and I'm not misquoting him, he said there's a culture. And so this <laughs> really, we do look have to look at uh, banning live exports. Nothing short of that, banning it. You see, you, you, you have people like the Heinzes, who Fran interviewed, and he would say, damn fine farmers. Peter would say that the live export plays a very important role in the industry. Um, and <laughs> banning live exports is a good catchphrase. I think it has worked in New Zealand. But when you have farmers, upstanding, solid farmers like Peter Hines saying actually it, it plays an important role, plus the fact that's also explored in the documentary that these misfortunate little bull calves 
who are no use uh, as dairy cattle, obviously, little bull calves are no use. We don't have a veal industry here because, and I asked Richard, whose background is in agriculture here, Richard Vickery, on the, on the show. We don't have a veal industry here because the way veal is raised is banned in Ireland. I didn't know that. Like, I would have thought, well, we're producing so many thousands of these little bull calves who go for veal, and I understand make for, make for very good veal, How, why we couldn't do that here? And his immediate answer was, well, that's banned here. You can't do that here. Well, uh, PJ, you're enlightening me as well, because not being from an agriculture background, you're, you're now enlightening me that, that, you know, veal is banned here. Now, no, no, the, main, the, the, no, it's not, no, the, the raising of the, yes, of the yes. calves in the way they're bred, in the way they're raised for veal in, in the factories that, that Fran investigated, mm-hmm. is that, that particular way of raising veal is banned in this country and has been for years. And does that not raise an issue of hypocrisy then? That we're, we, we, we ban that production method, yes. right? If I'm catching it, if I'm picking it up correctly. And then we're, it's okay to export the, the, these uh, livestock to countries where, it's, where I, veal is sold. I and, know, and, and, I know, I know yeah. You have another problem too. And again, when one watches the documentary, over the years, dairy farmers were encouraged to breed for pure dairy. There was a time where if a bull calf was born to a dairy, to, to a dairy cow, well, you could raise it and use it and maybe use it for beef. It, it, was, of, it was of use. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but but they've been so purebred now for dairy that the poor little bull calf is, is useless to Godner man in, in this country. And that was government policy. And again... PJ, you're touching on all the issues here, fair play to you. Government policy. So now, this our, our policy must be reviewed, and not just reviewed, but uh, totally investigated. I mean, there is an overproduction, there's no doubt about it. Fran, Fran's uh, investigates programme, uh, dairy, Dairy's Dirty Secrets, exposed all of this. So like our, dairy, our dairy products are world-renowned, John. Let's, let's, be, let's be very straight here. Our dairy products are world-renowned and with good reason. They're bloody mm-hmm. good. Yes. But with this kind of issue as a result of it, well, you, you mentioned Peter Hines there, uh, TJ, and that I watched the program and I watched it back again. Like uh, Peter Hines and, and, and uh, what's his wife's name? I can't, I can't recall Paula. her name. Paula. Like, they were both horrified when, when they saw footage of Fran's, Fran's uh, documentary. You know, they're, they're again, they're responsible uh, breeders. Who, who do not participate in this, this mistreatment and this abuse, and they were horrified by it. Yeah. So yeah. much needs to change, and I hope that Fran's wonderful piece of work will be a, a catalyst. It'll start a ball rolling. John, thank you very much. I have to get something else in before 10, so I'll leave it there for no reason other than time. Uh, appreciate your time and appreciate your guidance on that court case that we still need to find out the full details of. John O'Callaghan from Dog, Dogs Advocacy Ireland. IE. Now, uh, the reason I need to move is the government has come up with money. It always can when it's under pressure. Always learn that about governments. They can always find money when they're under pressure to do it. They've come up with 150 million euro to end the vacancy and dereliction of properties across the country. 11 million of that is coming to Cork 
5 million for the city and 6 million for the county. Frank O'Connor from Derelict Ireland, that money could go a long way to easing the problem that you and your colleagues have highlighted if it's correctly spent. Good morning. Uh, Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, Look, it's good news uh, that there's money being allocated. Like you said, they can find the money when when they need to. You know, and obviously how it's allocated is really, really important. And I suppose we still have to find out the details of what they're going to do with it. And they're supposed to be, like I said, six million for the city, renovate the properties themselves. We're not quite sure if it would be social social housing bodies or if they're going to sell them on, you know. But we have to be slightly cautious here because in 2017, they acquired quite a few properties across the city. Mm. And they're still working on those properties six late, six years later. That's the so problem. There is a kind of a, a bit of a caution here, all right. But it's good news, but I suppose I'm delighted it's happening. But we do need a wider cultural change around it. You know, we're still not doing the data properly and we're still not applying the dereliction levies as well. So, look, I suppose money is great, but we need to make sure it's, it's spending the right way. Yeah. There's maybe it's not spending consultants and stuff, you know, that's actually spent on bringing the properties back into use. The figures are eye watering. Uh, June 2022, there was about 7,000 vacant properties across Cork City and County. That's, that's 77 empty properties for every thousand of us. That's I know, it's, it's, it's crazy. And um, look, as you know, we've been highlighting this for the last three years. In fact, you, you were the first person to invite me on actually three years ago this week. Frank, uh, PJ, we, we shouldn't have a housing crisis if, with, with those numbers. Absolutely, absolutely. And I suppose there's been a lack of will to do something about it. So at least the government is moving in the right direction now. Um, but yeah, we need to move much quicker. Like we can't, if, if for example, if the properties are required in 2017 by CPO, or other means, if they're still lying idle six years later, then we have a problem here, you know. And so these are properties that were taken into ownership by the local authorities 2017 because they were derelict and they're still flipping derelict. They're still derelict. There's examples up by the lock, a wonderful location in Cork, close to Albert Road as well. So some of them are, the work has started recently, uh, PJ, but it's still, they're still not back into use. And I suppose I suppose I wanted to make the point that we do need more measures. I mean, compulsory sales, for example, would be a good measure to bring in. So if there's derelict properties out there, if they were compulsory sold, not to the council, but maybe to people who actually need them, who could bring them back into use themselves, that might be a useful way forward as well. It could speed up the process. Obviously, there could be a proper system put in place and deadlines and all that kind, you know. And and there's also other major stumbling blocks around this as well. You're probably aware, but I mean, the council can give out loans to support people with their mortgages, but they won't do that for renovations. And there's huge issues with the banks as well. The banks don't want to provide loans for renovations either. So so we have a lot of kind of stumbling blocks around it culturally and in terms of the system yeah, the as bank, well. The bank will give you money to buy a new property for a colossal amount of money, but it won't give you money to do up the place you've found. No. No, no, and that's and we've had a lot of people come back to us about that. It's caused lots of issues. People have been delayed in their process because they've managed to get the, uh, the 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 mortgage, and then when they've contacted local authorities, the local authorities haven't been able to support them because again, there's renovation involved, and of course, that's a huge cultural stumbling block for us, you know. Mm. So I've no doubt, I've no doubt like that you're. You, sorry, go on. Uh, like, like, like we said, in a city alone, as, as you remember, we found seven hundred city in a city alone within two kilometres of the city centre. So you can see. 
from an economic point of view, loan PJ for pe- providing people with homes and and supporting the businesses and and the infrastructure in the city would make such a difference to bring these around. But so the money alone is a great step forward, but I suppose there is a, a note of caution how it's going to be spent and the yeah. time frames as well. And what you don't want is when you come to an election campaign in 2025, the spring of 2025, you don't want people turning around saying, "Oh well, we gave you all this money." You did, but but yeah. Nothing, nothing happened. So you need to. No. Is, is it is it central government here, John, or Frank rather, needs to follow up on the allocation of this money to be able to say to Cork City Council or Cork County Council, look, we we gave you that money. What are you doing with it? Yeah, I think we need a far more strategic approach from the top down in terms of that, you know, and and they need to do similar approaches across the country as well, you know. And obviously, again, six million is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, but we have. 57 million tied up in the event centre. We've got another 353 million going to the docks, you know. So when you put it in context of the wider picture, yes. so it is a lot of money, don't get me wrong. We're pouring 2.2 billion into a hole in the ground that was supposed to be a hospital. Yeah, that's it. And I'm worried, to be honest, I am worried that a lot of this could tie up with consultants and stuff, you know. And really, like I say, that's why I think things like compulsory sales, compulsory rental, but going back to very basics, PJ, I'll say it every time, we need a proper data set, we need proper records of what properties are vacant and derelict, we mm-hmm. need to apply the dereliction levies of 7%, and then we need to move forward from there, and I think Cork has made progress, don't get me wrong, the council have made progress in the last few years, we do see a lot of pro- things happening, but it does need this wider strategic approach, you know, and like I say, throwing money at it is, is not necessarily enough in itself. Okay, I'm going to leave it there for no reason other than time. Frank, thank you, uh, Frank O'Connor from derelict Ireland. So this money has been allocated. The councils, city and county between them, getting 11 million euro. The idea is that if a property is identified, the money will be there to buy it so it can be taken over and taken out of dereliction. Great plan. Great idea, says Frank. Now let us see it acted upon. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96FM. Let me at this stage send out the good wishes of the, the radio family uh, to one of our own members. Uh, from certainly worked in radio with me years back would be very well known on the DJ scene on the clubbing scene around town on the music scene um, and in radio Richard was telling me this morning that he was the guy who showed Richard how to use a piece of software that we use every day here in our work and he is not well at the moment at all uh, Colin Edwards, funky Colin Edwards, you'll know him from Facebook. Colin Noon, we would have known him as growing up. Colin is not well at all, and uh, we send best wishes to him and to his family and those who know him and love him, as do all of us. And uh, wish best wishes to Colin for a speedy recovery. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six is the number. Good morning, Jen Hogan, education columnist of Irish Times, has been writing about. 
bullying and Jen you decided to look under the covers a little bit we all hear about the impact of fam- on families the impact obviously on the bullies victims and all of that but you've been studying the impact on schools because if there's bullying happening in a school it also has an impact on the school morning Good morning, PJ. Yes, um, in writing the series, I, I suppose I, I chatted to chatted to a principal and chatted to some teachers about the reality of, of trying to manage bullying in schools. And anybody who has been through bullying with their child will will know, I suppose, the frustrations because that repeatedly came up in speaking to parents. The frustrations about what was happening with the school and feeling the school weren't handling it. Maybe even feeling the schools were contributing to it by their lack or their perceived lack of handling or the way the manner in which they handle it. So I decided to speak to schools about it and find out, well, what's the, what's the issue on, on your side? What's the difficulties that they're facing? And and you realise how much the school's hands are tied. Yeah. Largely, I suppose, because some of the incidents happen outside school. And this is the, the this is another, I suppose, nightmare of the whole smartphone generation and the online generation that things happen, the cyber stuff happens outside school or incidents happen outside school. And it's difficult for schools to know at what stage do we get involved? Because if does spill over into school even if it happened off site it mm. spills over into school it's not like um, teenagers or it, and it's typically teenagers if we're talking cyber stuff um, it's not like it just kind of stops at the school gate so then they have to try to manage that often without all the information If I was to play back to you Jen recordings of calls have taken mm. from parents here of children who were bullied and each recording would contain probably the same form of words. The school aren't doing anything about it. But when you talk to the school, you say, well, actually, there isn't a whole lot we actually can do. That's the worst of it. And that, that is, I think, the huge frustration. I mean, as well as GDPR, which, I, again, I, I would be fairly certain those the parents that are contacting you are telling you they're coming up against the oh, GDPR argument. We can't talk about it because of GDPR and parents are ready to tear their hair out with upset and frustration. And then you have to remember, I suppose, the biggest advocate for a child who is accused of bullying is actually their parents. You know, and it's very difficult for anybody to hear that their child might be in, um, engaged in bullying or might be the might be bullying somebody else so they're not always receptive it's a very sensitive subject but the hardest part is the schools will often not tell you the consequences. So you go in, you're frustrated, your child's upset, devastated. It's not, like, it's not just so they've had a bad day at school. Bullying has such a huge and devastating impact on on children and, and a knock-on impact for their families as well. And you want to see justice. You know, you want to know there's action being taken. You want to know there's appropriate and measured action being taken. And you are not entitled to know that. And that's the real difficult part you you literally tell it to the school and the school can say leave it with us we'll deal with it but I suppose the school may look into it find there's more to it and again back to the whole GDPR side of things you're not being entitled to know this information you're not even necessarily entitled to know what action has been taken and that will largely depend on you know in that shouldn't you're not entitled to the information but I suppose relationships in schools and relationships yeah. with teachers may mean that you in some cases you may find out more than you, you will in others but not 
being entitled to know what action has been taken against the perpetrator, against the person who has caused your child such misery. Just yeah. this heightened frustration and emotion and upset. And, and a child who thinks that they're just being left to deal with it without any fairness or any sense of it coming to an end. Yeah. You talked about the difference in the smartphone world. And you're, you're talking here, Jen, to someone... One of my memories of being between 14 and 16 was being bullied continuously at school. So I I, I know, I get it. Um, But the one thing Mm -hmm. that that happened was when I left that school at half three and cycled home, it was over until tomorrow. That doesn't happen now. It continues 24-7. And outside of school hours, there's nothing the school can do. Nothing. And that's the devastating, that's the even more devastating part for, for these teenagers in particular, again, because we're talking smartphones, so it will typically be older um, children and, and teenagers. And that idea that they're, they can never escape their tormentors, they're never away from them. And even if it's, if it's physical bullying in school or whether it's exclusion or whether it's whether it's the cyber stuff once they're out the door it's still there and it's so and and it it can escalate so quickly both in terms of kind of the sharing of content like we've seen how easily it's happened you know you, you know something goes viral very very quickly mm. um there was a teenager talking in one of the stories um that, that I shared in one of the pieces and and uh, again incident it, there was co- i suppose a concerted and a a, a, com- a complete effort by peers within that teen's class to, to make sure certain things went out on social media at certain times so that it was subtle, but it was very targeted. You know, it was very orchestrated and targeted. And the teen knew this was happening, but it was so hard to prove to the school that this was happening. And, and it grows legs very, very quickly with the advent of social media. But the school, again, their hands are tied and their access to the information. So in goes a student, tells them certain things are happening or the parents to explain to the school certain things are happening. But it's very, very difficult for the school to try to piece all that information together when things are happening online. And the joys of Snapchat, which parents will be so familiar with, this kind yeah, of an app God. where if you're disappearing, messages and it's really really difficult to um, it's difficult both for the child to prove it and difficult for the school to pull it together when it's happening and and their role even when it's happening outside of school walls and even when you don't have the disappearing message I did call or talk to a dad a couple of years Mm. ago who'd been a fairly tech savvy individual now he'd managed to screenshot loads of stuff that was being sent to his, his boy and he presented it to the principal and said, what are you going to do about that? There is classmates. And the principal took one look at it and said, this happened at seven in the evening, sir. I can't do anything about it. That's where I suppose you get kind of, again, having spoken to a few different principals and teachers, school policies will kind of differ a little bit there. If it happens outside the school hours, yes, it's not, I suppose, the school's responsibility, but you will find some schools will still get involved in it because they're classmates or they're um, in the same school and it will, there'll be a knock-on impact and a knock-on effect in school and it rarely stops. It rarely is a teen savvy enough to just make sure it only happens at seven o'clock, you know, you're talking young people um, who, who maybe do have done stupid and cruel things since the dawn of time. So these things um, rarely just kind of stop at seven. But mm. it is very difficult. And it's very difficult if your school is washing their hands of it. And yet 
to give the schools the benefit of the doubt. They, they're tied, they're very they limited are. and they're dealing with frustration yeah. and pushback from all sides. And there's there's a real lack of trust as well. Like um, Craig, the principal I spoke to in the piece that, that was in the paper, yeah. um, there's a real lack of trust that has developed between parents and schools and that's not helping yes. the situation yes. either. They're very suspicious of each other or parents are particularly suspicious of schools. That's something that seems to have grown as, as I suppose the kind of authority maybe that schools held before. And now we ask questions, you know, I mean, this is a good thing. Parents are more involved. But unfortunately, with that, we have a kind of a growing lack of trust too. Yeah, it was it was a principal in County Wicklow that you spoke to in some depth. Mm. Do you get the impression, Jen, from your research and from dealing with the schools, is there something that could be done at government level to enable them to tackle it uh, more effectively? I think... <sighs> I think we're certainly going to have to move away from box ticking, and I think a lot of I think a lot of parents and a lot of I did speak to some teenagers too as well about it um, about their experiences and this kind of frustration that we do bullying as kind of well being and then that's covered and it's off we go and really I suppose it's I mean Craig the principal mentioned it too and I think speaking to psychotherapists and speaking to experts and speaking to parents and children this have been empowering children to call it out which is not easy. It's really going to go back to, I suppose, the parents and the children themselves and considering the possibility that your child might do something that you wish they wouldn't do. And, you know, maybe make another child's life and being open to considering that, but also talking to your children about calling it out and empowering children to call it out. As a whole, as a society, we value we value academics. We value sporting achievements. We don't value soundness and being kind, just being a decent human being to the same degree. We definitely don't. We say we do but we boast about our kids getting so many points in the leaving cert or the junior cert and we boast about the trophies that they win and we boast about the medals that they have we don't boast about my son or my daughter is is generally a sound uh, young one or young fella and they will you know make sure that nobody is left behind like we need to work so much harder on inclusion in every aspect of life and making sure that you know that we're as we rear our children we go make sure there's nobody left out make sure there's no child left behind, that there's not somebody sitting on their own, that there's not sniggering mm. and that you try to put yourself in other people's yeah. shoes. I think we really have to kind of get to the crux of that and show show our teens and show our kids that we actually value this this kind of trait sure. in somebody. We're not just about but, the medals and the points and all that sort of stuff. You know, you know yourself, Jen, when you're 14 and you're in a class yeah. and there's one of your colleagues, maybe even one of your friends is getting bullied. You know in your heart it is right to say to the bully, back off. But you also know in your heart that if you say back off you're the one that takes the crap then because you'll be the next target. Absolutely. You're terrified of becoming the next target and that is why it's not something that one one kid can turn around on their own and so it needs to be this this um, effort among, amongst I suppose within schools and within at home as well it needs to be something that's really hammered home and it needs to be really kind of front uh, our schools have anti-bullying policies you know we know we know that and we know that you know we cover the things like bullying are covered in well-being but it needs to be core and central to everything because you'll know PJ from having been bullied it is the sort of stuff that stays with you even when you move into adulthood you remember what that's like that kind of pain that devastation and it has devastation absolutely devastating impacts when we're talking the reaction to the series the number of stories coming in the number of people getting in touch with the paper since it um, since the series has started it's startling that there are this is still a massive problem a huge and massive problem 
And we need to do something a little bit different because what we've been doing hasn't isn't working. So we have to find a way of trying to change um, the value that we put on respecting and being kind to each other and empowering children and empowering teenagers to help each other out so that one person isn't left trying to sh- uh, shoulder the burden. You're right about the, the fact that it leaves its mark. And that's the thing. Everyone thinks, okay, you know, kids go through this at school. Bullying is part of school. It shouldn't be. It's not acceptable. But I say this as a man who's now much older than the age at which it happened to me. But, Jen, there are circumstances now that will put me back cowering Mm -hmm. behind a door, terrified. I can still... There are still circumstances that can conflate themselves in my life that have me back as a little 14-year-old boy shivering in fear behind a door. And that says it all, PJ, doesn't it? I mean, that just... The, the fact that's that, that and that's you're it. a grown man, yeah, and that's you're a grown man, and still, you still live with the. Thankfully, with it doesn't happen very often, but it it happens. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, yeah. Jen, pleasure talking to you as always. And the schools, let's take it. Let's take the advice of Jen's piece. It's, it's as tough for the schools to deal with it as it is for the parents. It is for the families, but something needs to be. It's the old saying: "No, something needs to be done," but. But what? Maybe we start by teaching all our kids to be kind and be decent and don't take shite. But yeah, remember talking about this years ago. I, I was bullied in school um, when I was 12, 13, 14. Uh, it affected my health in the end. I ended up being out of school, sick, only for a few days. And it was taken in hand and it was dealt with. That's what I'll say. And years ago, one of my worst, or years later, many years later, one of my worst tormentors approached me. As grown men with kids, we both were. Apologised. Shook my hand and bought me a pint and I expect, I accepted his apology and bought him another pint. Um, but still, there would be situations in life. It happened to me a few years ago. I won't go into the details to take too long and bore the hell out of you. But I found myself at an event. I was gigging, presenting at an event and something happened just a series of events over a space of about three minutes. And I ran out of that room and I stood in the cold night air and I had to draw breath because I was back in that corridor, back behind that door, hiding. Um, that's 40 years later. Oh, wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Let's go back to where we started this morning, which was a follow-on from yesterday when Joe was talking to me about his friend Ryan, uh, whose mom died. And Ryan has been gotten a place in the John Birmingham Centre and his needs are being met and everything is really, really good. Then John rang, uh, knows Ryan, knows Ryan, Ryan's mom, said, that's brilliant. I'm delighted for Ryan. But in our case, we've been told my son could end up in a nursing home in County Louth. So it's not the same for everybody. There's a huge backlog in the system and a huge block in the system. It's about a year ago now since I first met the Walsh family out in Ballancolig um, and we highlighted their situation on the programme. Uh, Sandra, before we get anywhere into this, how is Dad? Morning. 
Da, good morning, PJ. Dad is doing fantastic. Good. He, we have our full home care package in place since February. It took nearly eight months, but we kept fighting every single day. We are so lucky. Every single one of the carers coming into us is amazing. And Dad has taken to every one of them. So we're much happier. He's much happier. And life is much much easier. Briefly, just to recall for people, Dad has vascular dementia and you needed care package. There was no shortage of funding for it, but you just couldn't get the carers and Dad was going downhill very quickly because there was no care. Yourself and Mom, your backs were broken from it, but now everything seems to have been sorted out and that is absolutely marvellous. And what it has done is it has freed up our time to do things we need to do ourselves but more importantly, to spend quality time with Dad, like have him out in the garden while we're gardening, have him out while I'm painting, um, bring him out and about for coffee or and cake. Or it, you know, we've done so much with him. Really important thing. So, so you 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 were John's call earlier really resonated with you. It broke my heart, PJ. I was. It takes a lot to bring me to tears. But I was nearly in tears listening to his call because I was there and I said, my God, it's not the same as our situation. It is a hell of a lot worse because his son requires a hell of a lot more care than dad does, even on the face of it, even though there would be some similarities. But it was foreseeable from the day that man's son was born. 36 years ago. Exactly that he would require services, that he would require care. There's no denying the fact that his parents are getting older and probably greyer by the day. They're both in bad health now. Even if they weren't, PJ, we all face the reality. One day we're not going to be on this planet. Mm -hmm. So even if you're in perfect health, there needs to be provisions in place. And to hear that there is nothing put in place yet for his son, that he could end up in a nurse. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss. Home in County Lowes just tore my heart to pieces. We were told something similar with that. Like the HSE's solution was for us to consider putting him into full-time nursing home care permanently. We didn't want it. Dad, when he was diagnosed, didn't want it. And he was already diagnosed 10 years uh, when we came to this point last summer. So it was foreseeable when he was diagnosed that something would be required down the line. Now, I admit Mum and I were kind of semi-blind to how much care would be involved for the simple reason that we knew nothing about living with a person with dementia. Mm -hmm. But you'll you'll do it because you adore it. We do it and we rode with it every step of the way. It's no kind of patting our own backs, but we are the ones who have made some of the suggestions to the HSE. Can we do this? Can we do that? Is this possible? And they've all been for Dad's benefit and I could hear it in that man's voice. He has the mattresses and cushions on the floor for his son. He has the padding part of the way up the walls. Hundreds of soft toys. Yes. He's doing everything he can. But the point you're making, Sandra, and the key point is that the the service providers, and let's let's use the HSE as as an umbrella here, the service providers have known for 36 years that this young man will eventually need an adult service, will eventually need a permanent service because guess what? His mom and dad won't live forever. They should have been preparing for this 36 36 years ago. ago. And it makes my blood boil because it's not that they didn't know. This isn't something that the boy went to sleep absolutely perfectly healthy physically and cognitively one night and woke up the next morning in a vegetative state. That is not what happened. Yeah. He was born with a condition. That's right. It, do, it progresses in its needs, its physical needs over time. Holding a nine-month-old baby in your hands is very different to trying to placate and hold a 36-year-old adult. He's a 36-year-old, nine-month-old, and they knew that from day one. They they knew it, and they did nothing about it. And the man is right. He should be doing one day a week for, say, six months, then increase it incrementally to two days a week, so that eventually there is a smooth transition from home to residential care. Now, if you take Joe's story um, of his friend Ryan, that's how it worked. And Joe was saying to me, it was so, it was so great, Ryan, that Joe and his husband, Darren, and and Freddie, who's Ryan's uncle, they all piled in for the couple of days. And then a few days later, Ryan has his place in John Birmingham Centre. And the point I would make, and I'm sure you would do, Sandra, that should be the norm. Except, if the person isn't able to mentally cope with a sudden move, it may not work in Correct. all cases. Correct. There Correct, should be an in-between where a person is familiarised. Because I know if we took that, now he can't speak as you know, but if we took that and overnight placed them permanently in another location, the man would die in no time for the simple reason that he would be upset and he would be confused. As I may have said to you on previous occasions, 
if he ends up in hospital with infections or whatever, I actually have to move in with him 24-7 because he won't take a drink of water, a spoon of food. He won't even open his eyes for the staff. But when he's in there and I'm there, it's like a normal day for him. And I assist the staff. I, not because I feel I do not have an obligation, but I want to. And it frees up their care staff because they would have to have somebody on that 24-7. Yeah. yeah. Not because he's aggressive or will go wandering because he can't do any of those things, but because he can't tell you if he has a pain. Yeah. So, like, if we were to move him suddenly and you were to yank away his support system, i.e. mom or myself, you would have a confused, upset person, which leads to stress in the body and the mind, which leads to a deterioration in health. And in that case, with his age, ultimately, it would lead to death. I've stayed in hospital since January this year, approximately five weeks with that. Yes. Between January, April and June, we've had three hospital visits, two of them with sepsis. One of them, we were blue lighted into the CUH. Come here, Sandra. He's as tough as an old boot, isn't he? I tell him he's a boomerang. <laughs> and I know he's listening. I know he's listening. How are you, my friend? You're as, tu- you're as tough as Chris Eubank, for goodness sake. Oh, he's unbelievable. He really is unbelievable. But that's what we love about him. Oh, for goodness he, Even the doctors have given he'll up He'll outlive the lot of us. Do you know what? If you saw him right this minute, PJ, he looks like there's absolutely... Absolutely nothing on this planet wrong with him. <laughs> He's as healthy. He has his suntan. He has everything. <laughs> the doctors call him Lazarus. Ah, uh, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. They, they've given up coming into us and saying, oh, he's very ill now. You need to prepare yourself. They've given up on that. <laughs> they just come in now, put on the IV antibiotics and go, we'll see how it we'll goes. Listen, Sandra, my best to him and to your mum. I'm so thrilled that it's going well for you and that the package is there and that I was so proud of the fact that as a programme we managed to get it out there for them last year at the Walsh's. Jim, yell devil. Uh, You're you're, you're tough as an old boot. Um, Thanks. 0818 96 96 96. Yeah, and but Sandra's right. Point she makes. Like, when first a person is referred to the services, whether they be five years old, 15 years old, five months old, five days old, when they're first referred to services, you know that you're going to need services into the future. You know? 0818 96 96 96. It shouldn't come as a surprise to them. I remember once, I remember sitting down years ago with one, now it was a very nice individual and he ended up being very helpful in the end um, with getting James to where he is today I remember sitting down across a desk in an office with him and say just something you might not have come across I said to him in your, in your course of your career is that autism doesn't go away because you turn 18 and he looked at me and he goes it does not too many parents will come in and say that to me, he said I'm bloody saying it so it doesn't go away just because you turn 18. Um, and he looked, he just smiled, he says, all right, okay, 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 leave this with me. 
got sorted. You will hear this in your news during the day, but there's another committee on this morning at the Oireachtas where Kevin Backhorst, the new Director General at RTE, and a few more of the executive, are back in front of another committee. And they're now taking apart what Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly said to the committee the other day. And somebody is suggesting that really what we need to do is set up a bare-knuckle fight. <laughs> a bit like this Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg thing. That we set up a bare-knuckle fight between Tuberty and Kelly and Backhurst. The whole, I'll just let them slug it out in a boxing ring. I'm sure that would roll in a few quid on pay-per-view. 0818969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. Oldies and Irish on Corks 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10am to 2pm. With Cork Simon. Do you want to leave a legacy to the city you love? Find out more about leaving a gift in your will at CorkSimon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Coming up this morning, there is, later, there is a problem that has been costing... The men and women, but mostly the women of Cork, of all ages, their sleep. It is a problem that has been costing them their sleep. And a solution has been found. This is a solution to a problem that is as old as the product itself that causes the problem. What am I talking about? You'll have to wait. I'll tell you in a minute. 0818 96 96 96. Now, we were talking to Maria a couple of weeks ago about the boiled water notice down in East Cork, down in Whitegate. And Maria was telling me that they have been using boiled water or using bottled water down there, maybe 30 to 40 quids worth, if not more, bottled water a week uh, for several years now and saw no prospect of that coming to an end. We then get a press release to say that the boiled water notice has been lifted. Celebrations, Maria. Good morning. Hi, PJ. Um, you'd think so. Do you know, it's a good novelty to be able to use the water to brush your teeth. Yeah. However, I would not drink it. Um, and I know a lot of people down here aren't drinking it because we don't trust the boiled water notice. It's very coincidental that on the 3rd of July, Owen Fitzpatrick and the Irish Examiner come out with our boiled water notice and a big article on it. I come on last week on Air 96 FM and I start giving out that we're going to get louder and louder. It's get where we're going to get. Yeah. Next of all, a few days later, magically, this boil water notice has disappeared. What reason that, are they given for lifting it, though? But that they've worked with the HSE and put things in place. What things have they put in place, BJ? And why has it taken nine months? Why can have this be done sooner? Basically, what they're doing is they're trying to shut us up. They're putting a little plaster on an open leaking wound, which you know yourself is only going to hold for a small bit, and then we're back on boil water notice. This happened last year as well. We started getting vocal um, and towards, I think it was it, about this time, it was about July again last year, we came off the boil water notice and we were back on it again in October. So basically, they think that, okay, we're going to shut them up, you know, boil water notice lifted for a few weeks, we'll get away with it. 
they're not. We still want to be rerouted to the Middleton network. Did I hear you say to Emer that the minute there's a heavy few showers of rain, you'll be in trouble again? Yes. So what they're saying is that they've worked with the HSC and consultations and they've put measures in place to get us on off boil water, water notice. However, at the end of the clause, um, if the uh, raw water quality deteriorates or there's a spell of adverse weather, we'll be back on it. Mm. No, Peter. Fairly heavy rain expected this weekend, particularly Saturday. Yes, and since um, they basically lifted the boil water notice, we had really heavy rain, and you're thinking, oh God, is it safe to brush our teeth now with this? Do you know? Um, we were never told what's in our water as well, mm. like many people around Ireland. The deeper I'm looking into our um, Ishgaran now that they're known, the more concerned I'm getting about our drinking water, not just down here in the White Gate area but the whole of the Republic of Ireland. Yeah, there's loads of different boiled water notices around the country. I think it's only Waterford at the moment and, and whatever. But like families like your own spending thousands of euros. Yeah, I mean, you said 40 to 50 euros Yeah, I calculated week, so. it. I think it's between 2,000 to 2,600 a year. That's the price of a week away in the sun. It is. At least you'd be, get, be able to brush your teeth if you went over there. That's the ironic thing. We all go on the holidays and we buy bottled water. You can actually drink the water in most of the apartments, but we don't know. Cause you can, it's safe, yeah. <laughs> They've got good infrastructure. Than, it's probably safer than home, if I'm listening it to you, right? Yeah. And the thing is, like, what, like I started looking into if there are no PJ because, I, you know, they lit a fire underneath me. That was never supposed to be lit. You know, I was never supposed to be on air talking about water. It was never my dream to be Erin Brockovich. But Erin Brockovich in 2016 warned us all about this. She told us we had trihalomethanes in our water. She told us don't be fooled by our government judging their responsibility about the water quality. Mm. This is in 2016. In 2016, the European Commission uh, gave wa- Irish Water at that time warnings. In November 21, they were reported to the Court of Justice for the European Union because they're not providing safe, clean drinking mm. water for the customers. And all this is documented. So, yeah. This is all documented and it's currently with the Court of Justice. Now, I was looking into fines that they've got by different districts and courts and stuff. A thousand euro. PJ did write their backside with a thousand euro. They spent over 15 million on consultants fees when they were setting up. Yeah. A thousand euro is nothing to them. 50 million could have been spent on infrastructure. There's 5,100 kilometres of asbestos-led pipes in our water systems. 22% of that is in Cork. Yeah. Do you know? Um, if a water pipe bursts with asbestos, you know that's going into your drinking water. I have a friend in Dublin who's actually fighting Irish shore at the moment because there's an asbestos pipe that she's on that keeps bur- bursting. Mm. And they're like, oh, don't worry, it's safe. Asbestos is not safe. Yeah. In the middle of it all, then they change their name. And you don't just change your name overnight. That costs no. money too. And probably all around the time that they were reported to the European Court of Justice. And DJ, if you look up, because that's what I did, uh, when you look up that on the internet, just do your Google search, you'll come up with the maps. It'll show you where these trihalomethanes are where protozoa is, it's true cork. Like, I know people that live up in Glamour and stuff, and they're like, oh, God, I hate to be down there with you. Do you know your drinking situation? Mm. Do you know we've 
clean water up here, we can drink it away. And last night I found out they put us all in their water. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know? It's an E. coli. E. coli's been found in one in 20 private um, water yeah. supplies by yeah. the EPA. So you haven't stopped buying bottled water since no. the... No. No, and I won't because I did this the last time too. What will happen is in a few weeks, after we get a bit of adverse weather, um, people will start getting dicky tummies. Yeah, and have, you know, have you have you small children? I do, and a few of their friends had actually previously been sick before the last boiled water. Now that's how we actually found out because when I caught it, there bugs going around the place. Yeah. You know the way like you get stomach bugs. Yeah. And um, no, I, I'm just no, calling to the, the money here. How much you've yeah. spent? Because like you said to me there, you've worked it out. Two, we we'll say two and a half thousand. We just say conservatively yeah. two and a half thousand a year on yeah. bottled water. Okay, and that's for how many years? Seven. Seven. So seven by two and a half is fourteen. Is eighteen thousand euro? Mm-hmm. You'd buy a car. You could, yeah. You could buy a lot of things. Wow. And yeah. Like there's there's no comeback on that. There's no comeback on it. Um, the government don't want to do anything about it. Irish Water don't want to do anything about it. All we want is safe drinking water for us, our kids, our parents, you know, our grandparents. You know. It's not just me that's affected by this. I know I'm quite vocal about this. You know, people are sure to come on radio and give out. Um, luckily, I'm just a chattier person. But this affects 10,000 people. Yeah. And it affects tourists. Well, I mean, if you're, hang on. If you are spending that much money, 2,500 mm-hmm. a year, if every family is spending 2,000, 2,500 a year, and you're talking about a couple of hundred families, like we're talking hundreds of thousands of euro being spent on bottled water in East yeah. Cork. And that's without even getting the businesses involved because they're having to supply safe drinking water to their customers when they come in for dinner. Yes, restaurants and bars and stuff. Yeah. And bars, yeah, and bars, they're already struggling from the pandemic. Teams are only starting to level back out. But you see around the place, places can be quiet. You know, like before down here, the place would be booming. It's quieter. Do you know? Um, so this is affecting a lot of us and all we want, before I get very loud towards Ishka Erin, I want us to be rerouted to the Middleton pipeline. Pat Buckley said it's an easy fix. He's done it previously in his past jobs when he would have worked, did he work for the council at some point? He said it in the doll. They, they, they've when he said the that concerns. doing that, Irish Water, Ishka Erin, whatever you're calling yourself this week, mm-hmm. they've said that it would take about five years to do that. It wouldn't take five years to put a, a pipe Wakegate to Middleton. It's on the same road. It is. It is. Think, <laughs> of, think of all the objections. Won't anybody think of the objections? We're already in objections. How long are we going to be sitting abo- uh, yeah. on board Planola? Um, oh, yeah. Do you know? Or, or a new plant has already been objected to. We need quick solutions. We need the government now to intervene. And do you know there's the thing, Maria? Mm-hmm. When, when someone is living down there in yeah. the middle of that and has been dealing with a a water crisis for years and and then don't name anybody if you know who it is and then they object to the building of the solution how does that make you feel? It's frustrating no you could probably see it from their perspective I don't know now who's doing it you know but if there was an ugly plant going up and a lot of suffering around you you'd probably you know I, like I haven't seen their plans but you know you probably have objections yourself but it's very frustrating like mm. we need solutions put in place where there's going to be no objections where whoever's concerned for the objections is being met 
Yeah. Do you know, they need to include the residents in that um, vicinity where this plant is going. Do you know, they need to get them on board. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you know, that's their job to do this. Um, but like, I can hear rain now outside the window and I'm like, oh my God, are we going to be back on by water notice tomorrow? <laughs> I know, I know. It's desperately, and I'm, you know, I, I think it's a case of if you didn't laugh about it, you'd probably cry. Oh, if I didn't, I'd, I'd probably be put in jail. <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't do, don't do that because they won't allow phones into the prison. Maria, thank you. That's Maria, and best of luck to you and everybody else. So they've now been told down in East Cork, down in Whitegate, you can drink the water for now. Uh, Maria believes it's because of the agitating that the likes of her have been doing on programmes like this and in the newspapers that Irish Water have said, for goodness sake, lift the bloody boiled water notice, let them drink the water for now, safe enough for now. But tis ac- according to the weather apps, it's supposed to chuck it down uh, tomorrow and Saturday. If it does that across East Cork, they could be faced with having to go boiled water notice again. Very frustrating. And can you imagine that? Two and a half thousand euros on boiled, on bottled water. Not because you want to, but because you have to. You have no choice in the matter. 0818 96 96 96. Come here, I've been meaning to get to this for a couple of days. The weirdest thing, uh, watching gigs and watching reports of things happening at gigs. Harry Styles, of course, on a world tour at the moment. and He was in Slain a few weeks ago. Great gig, by all accounts. He's one of the victims of this. People throwing things at performers while they're on stage. Now, it's, it's not new. It's been happening since, since forever. But there's been a, a kind of a sport in it recently. Like, there's teddy bears. Okay, people throw teddy bears. I mean, I can remember people throwing their knickers at Joe Dolan. So listen, don't... It's not new, like... <laughs> yes, they did. Yes, they did. That is not a lie. They threw their knickers at Joe Dolan. They th- they throw teddy bears at artists on stage. However, someone threw the ashes of their dead mum. In Vienna at the weekend, Harry Styles was hit in the face by something flying onto the stage. Someone threw those ashes. Someone threw a bag of their mother's ashes on stage at a pink concert. And another performer, Baby Rexa, I think I saw this video. Uh, they were hit in, a, hit in the face with a phone. And Adele was doing a gig in Vegas. And she stopped a song because the, someone in the audience had thrown something at her. Jason Derulo has called it out on stage. This is a, tr- a trend across the world of people throwing things at artists while they're on stage. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do remember that. Dickie Rock. Women used to throw themselves in front of the stage and go, spit on me, Dickie. That is true. That is actually true. And women used to throw... Now, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. No. See, I should explain this, right? Because people will be horrified. They didn't sort of throw their, take their, throw. no, they didn't. They actually used to bring, I'm not joking, I saw this. I was gigging, I was DJing. They used to bring a pair of knickers from pennies in a bag. And in the middle of the 
concert when Joe Dolan would be singing something like The House with the White Watch Gable or It's You, It's You, It's You or More and More and More. Out would come the Penny's knickers flung on the stage and Joe would be literally wiping them off his shoulders as they landed on top. It was the maddest thing you ever saw in your life. Oh, 818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Coach 96 FM. Just looking at the forecast for the rest of the day, it's kind of clouding over here in the city now I think we can probably expect a shower or two in the next hour or two then it's relatively okay for the rest of the day tomorrow does not look good at all my friends tomorrow looks decidedly grotty Uh, when we wake up in the morning it will almost certainly be raining might well be chucking it down Actually, in the morning, it'll ease in the afternoon. Tomorrow looking like a really grotty one. Saturday, nothing to write home about. You'll get a few sunny spells in the late afternoon. Other than that, you can forget about Saturday. Sunday, oh God, no. Sunday, there's more rain coming. Be okay in the early morning, then rain in the afternoon, and sun again in the evening. Monday, a shower. Tuesday, a shower. Wednesday, Wednesday looks okay. But there's a lot of showers or longer and heavier outbreaks over the next couple of days, particularly over tomorrow. Tomorrow morning is going to be horrible when you wake up, I may tell you now. 0818 96 96 96, the number, the text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96, and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. This thing I was telling you about that affects the women of Ireland, and I think it is mostly the women, although probably men too, it affects men in that they wake up and they look at the state of the bed next to them and it's all brown and orange and they think oh my god look at the state of our bed because she has had the fake tan on and she's been to sleep in it and the pillow well you know yourself and the sheets well you know yourself and it's a problem that's as old as fake tan itself and I, at the risk of being accused of being sexist I would suggest it's probably more women using fake tan than men I would think so anyway at least and it turns the pillows brown and it turns the sheets orange and you can wash them but it might it mightn't come out you might have to boil the damn things uh, yeah they're a, they're a complete and total mess um, now I'm told that the reason fake tan is such a popular thing is that tanning beds are out we don't do tanning beds anymore so fake tan is even more and more popular but it destroys the bedclothes ruins them Jack McNamee is sales and marketing manager of a company called Tidy Clean Jack you have created a revolutionary product that will change the world by taking that brown muck off the sheets and the pillowcases good morning 
Good morning, PJ. How are you? Thank you very much. Yes, it's a, it is revolutionary. It's it's quite a difference. <laughs> because I know whenever we go out to something and the missus will have fake tan on her, the following day, the, 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 the sheets, the pillowcases, they're all brown and orange. My, my daughter, when she puts laundry out, it's, it's, a, it's, it's in an awful mess. And it's hard to get it out unless you boil the damn things, which then ruins them. So what have you come up with? So basically, Tidy Company Tan Off, it's a pre-wash detergent spray. You spray it on the bed sheets or white towels, you can use that as well. Uh, and you can just wash it at 40 degrees and it comes right out. No need to boil, no need to destroy anything. <laughs> so what does it do? It's, it's, is it a detergent or what is it? Yes, it's a pre-wash detergent spray. So basically, you spray it on, you rub it in, leave it for 5 to 10 minutes, and then it lifts off and rinses away in the wash. So no need to destroy anything. It's all, it's all good. <laughs> I, should, I should point out you're a Cork company. Is this your yes, own invention right. or did you discover it by accident? No, my father has a background in chemistry. He invented a colour catcher for the washing machine. So we have a family right. background in laundry. Yes. So this was just a natural step. He's retired now, but uh, we decided during lockdown just to try this out, see if we could make something work. And it's gone really well for us. We're really happy about it. Colour catcher was invented by a Corkman. Yes, it was manufactured in Little Island until a couple of years ago. Wow, wow. So you just, the, the, the sheets, pillowcases, you spray it with them, let it sit there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then put them into and a regular just, wash. Yeah, absolutely. Um, nice you, and simple. I, I take it that you will be retiring at Christmas, sitting on a pot <laughs> of millions and millions and millions of... <laughs> I wish. I'd be happy to get a nice bottle of Tanqueray or something at the end of the month. <laughs> really not. So, and there is a fascination, isn't there, with, with cleaning products. You just have to delve into social media and Mrs. Hinch and everybody. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a phenomenon. I mean, there's so many even just like Facebook groups of uh, people, men and women, sharing their ideas, sharing uh, cleaning hacks, as they call them. It's, mm. uh, it's a really big thing. Yeah. Like, I remember this guy came in to me cleaning our worktop in the kitchen and I said to him I have a problem getting that particular stain out of the seal and he sent me down yeah. to, to Aldi for the pink stuff like <laughs> you know there's stuff everywhere stuff. yeah there's, there's stuff for everything these days and now now for fake tan stains as well thank god <laughs> yeah because um, like what, what other things do you do tidy clean we're, this is our, we sell other products as well, but this is our first product, the one we make, and remember, we're manufacturing and we've designed ourselves. So this is our first so far, but uh, hopefully there's more to come. Right. And, and are you, is it just a local market at the moment or has it gone national? At the moment, we're selling on our website, uh, tidyteamcompany.ie, and we're in selected super value stores in Cork, Waterford and Limerick. But we'll be going national hopefully soon, so you keep I mean, an eye out. Just <laughs> global? You know, I really... Well, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Is it expensive? It's nine ninety nine a bottle, okay. um, but it, it, it does several, several washes. Unless your stains are, you know, the entire sheets, then you might need a bit more in a bottle. But uh, right. fortunately, I found in my experience that, you know, the whole sheets being destroyed are, are a bit more rare, but it does happen. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. In the summertime, you might need to wear as much fake tan, but in the wintertime, going to, it is funny, yes. you know, when you go to an event in the wintertime, and there's a bit of glam yeah. in the room. You can almost smell the fake tan coming in the door, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does a very distinctive, distinctive smell. I did all the testing, mostly myself, so I'm right. really hands-on with this. So I saw firsthand the, the smell and the stains and stuff that it can do. There's a few. I, the first time I got it, I didn't realize you know, just how it transfers for quite a while after you apply it. So there was a couple of walls that had to be repainted and stuff because I was put, accidentally put my hands on them. It's, yeah. uh, it's quite a... 
quite a gets everywhere. <laughs> yeah, the, the the stuff stinks, and it it stays alive on the on the pads as well. I remember being in in the, um, my, I, I share a, a car with with my daughter, mm-hmm. and and I sat into the car one morning after she'd had it for the weekend, and there was a tanning mitt. On, oh on, yes, on the those front. are. <laughs> and I said, "Oh God, that's awful!" And I picked it up, and it was a disposable one. So I picked it up, I, yeah. I threw it in the bin. It took me the rest of the day to get the crap off my fingers. <laughs> yeah, some, there's there's two types of fake tan. There's one that's essentially sort of like a paint, and that comes off very easily. Mm. And there's one that reacts with your skin. And I find that when it reacts with your skin, makes the worst stains on bedding. Because obviously, you know, you're in yes. contact with it yes, for several the, hours. Yes, my mm-hmm. missus but likes that one actually. She she likes that one. Oh, the yeah. one that reacts with your skin. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the one that reacts is, it was my opinion, because the best sort of appearance. Yes, and and, and the, the best stains. <laughs> your, yeah, your products will remove both of them. Yes, that's correct. What is in fake tan that makes it stain so much? Uh, what is in it? Well, the, mostly the pigment, just yeah. the pigment, essentially. Um, and once it reacts with your skin as well, the stain becomes a bit more, I don't know how to put it, persistent, because there's obviously cells and stuff mixed with the pigment, and then it quite, you know, gets quite deep into, uh, into sheets, and among other things. <laughs> yes, yes, and it can go through onto the mattress protector as well. Yes, I've heard reports that happening. It does work in mattress protectors too, so rest assured... Uh, you can do it on that as well. Okay. And it's called, once again, it is, it is called? Tidy Clean Company Tan Off. Tan Off by Tidy Clean. And it's available in certain supervisors at 999. I tell you, I, yes. think, I think the next time that I talk to you, Jack, I will have mm-hmm. to be going through layers of bureaucracy because you will be a global <laughs> millionaire for the removal. Oh, PJ, with. <laughs> well, you can see it. I mean, you say that it was invented in... in here in your own company, in your own lab, with your own products and your own experiments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, will Mrs. Will Mrs. Hinch be interested oh, in well, this? Oh, well, I'd the budget for her, but maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just Jack, good luck with, good luck with it. Lovely, thank All you very right, much. Thank Jake. you. That's Jack McNamee, a sales marketing manager of Tidy Clean Company. It's called Tanoff. It solves a problem that has caused arguments in many a home. Um... <laughs> Everyone's got a fake tan nightmare story. I, I I hate this stuff. I get asked every so often, you know, will you will you do my back? Um, it's awful. Do you know, I, 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 okay, I don't know why people do it. See, um, I don't because, like, particularly in winter, I've been asking this question for years, right? So you go to an event in November in Ireland and you tanned everybody knows it's fake why do you bother the tanning beds are out the shops are thriving um, but people don't use it that much anymore I'll never forget the summer oh Emma says I'll never forget the summer my, my brother was sunbathing <laughs> no no my brother had been out in the garden taking the sun and he came in then and he was, you know, a bit red and he took a bottle of what he thought was after sun and he smathered it all over his face and his arms and his head and his body. Only it wasn't after sun. It was fake tan. Really dark fake tan. And instead of putting it on a little mat or miss or 
sponge or whatever he was putting it on flaking it on with his hands oh, I must get the after sun on me that must have happened to other people 0818 96 96 96 they also smelled some of them smell like curry oh god imagine imagine smelling like a chicken biryani for the whole of the dress dance or bad biscuits bad biscuits <laughs> People who wear too much are known as mahog. Mahogany mags. Right, okay. You're mahog, love. Look at you. You're mahog. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Bed rotting. Bed rotting. Basically, lying in bed for very long periods of time. It's called sleeping. <laughs> no, you're awake. Whether you want to just lie there and just watch Netflix. So you make a little fort kind of thing, like. I mean, if you want to make a fort. I've often ditched a tent. I don't know what a full <laughs> fort. Lorraine <laughs> and Ross in the morning starts this Monday. Test drive the award-winning Skoda Enyaq electric SUV at No DC Cars. Skoda Sales Dealer of the Year. Wake up. Cork's 96FM. Going back to the subject of animal cruelty, um, the documentary on Monday night about the dairy industry. We're talking to Fran McNulty from Ortiz Primetime about that earlier on, and indeed to others too, about how horrific it was and the way we treat not just cattle, the way we treat horses, the way we treat dogs, and the way we treat all sorts of animals in this country. Most of us are animal lovers, would never dream of it. But there's so many people out there who just treat animals badly, very, very badly. Um, Teddy the Shetland Pony made headlines a few weeks ago um, when Morris Enright, who owns Sarah Husky and Animal Rescue in Listole, took him in. Now, Teddy has now been rehomed and lives in Cork, now, with a man who also has another Shetland pony, which is nice. But, Morris, it was you who found Teddy, and who found Teddy in the most unusual and, yes, distressing of circumstances. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Yes, we got a call about um, a pony and a couple of dogs uh, being kept in unsuitable conditions and when we went to the house there was there was a pony and uh, two dogs being kept in very unsuitable conditions pony being kept in, a, in an apartment and two dogs being kept outside in a tiny crate in their own feces not just the pony being kept in an apartment but an apartment on the first floor well actually it was the second floor wow yeah uh, to get it upstairs and we've we've had a number of issues with the same place and and it just seems to be um, TikTok social media this is what they do all of these things for So they were keeping a pony in a second floor apartment how was the poor beast being exercised how are they getting it in and out to, to exercise it that's still yet to be found out how, how it was, how we got it up and uh, how they even got it up, uh, to be honest with you. Now, it's not a very big, big animal, 
but at the same time, uh, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be uh, that keen on, get, on going up a flight of stairs. That's for sure. And one assumes you wouldn't get it into a lift. No, there's no lift in the in the in the building. So it had no. to be brought up the stairs. What conditions yeah. was it living in? This, this apartment can't have been very clean if there was a pony living in it. No, I can say that. I mean, it just seemed to be all part of the all part of the fun was cleaning up after it, and and um, I just you know I don't understand this whole social media thing and, and trying to get likes and and uh, I, I, I so they were putting TikTok videos of this poor little beast yeah. in an upstairs apartment and doing it for likes on TikTok. Yeah, wow. That would that would seem to be the, but it's not the first time. Um, that we that we've caught him on on uh, TikTok with animals in unsuitable conditions. Good lord! So you got the beast out of there. Yeah. What what condition was it in? Relatively okay, you know, quite obviously stressed because that's not not a suitable place for 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 a little horse like that, a uh, little pony. So quite stressed, and I think just happy to be happy to be in a in a field really. Yeah. Um, and then, then there was a piece run. We were contacted about initially about the um, the amount of animals that are that are being surrendered or being being abandoned in Ireland, and was it down to the cost of living? And, and to be honest with you, I don't see that. I just see people getting animals that they're not suited to. Yeah. Um, and they're and then either if they can't find a place in rescue because every place is a jammed full it's the same in Cork it's the same in Kerry it's the same in Limerick yeah. what they're doing is that they're abandoning them they're dumping them they're tying them to bins gates wherever that's good you know um, so the, that's kind of how it is, it, yeah. it escalated from there so this little chap mm-hmm. in reasonable health you yeah. took him and looked after him what is he three foot tall a really tiny little pony yeah he's about that yeah, yeah. about three foot yeah and the man who came forward and said, I'll take him, how did that happen? Uh, that was um, because of a piece done in the Irish Independent. Again, they were they were contacting us more so. People getting animals, um, unrestricted breeding, uh, backyard breeding, mm. you know, just too much. And no one, no one really wants big dogs anymore. Yeah. Um, so we're struggling to find homes for the big guys. We, we've come uh, across a problem here with so many lurchers here in Cork. I think you have the same problem in your rescue. Yeah, there, you know, another one came in the other day and also the same the same day that we took in Teddy, um, there was a lurcher in the in, in the crate, he's living in his own feces. Um, thankfully that lurcher has gone off to, off to England and, and living, living the high life over in Bath in England. Good, so. good, good, good just had another one in now and there's nothing he's, he's had mange and there's no skin there's a, you know he's no hair left Poor um, so it's it's a big um, you know and Ma- Morris don't we have law to clamp down on people who treat animals and leave them in that kind of condition yeah we we do but it's extremely difficult when the animals aren't microchipped and there's actually you don't find anyone with them you find the animal, but you don't find the owner, or you don't yeah. find the person holding on them. Yeah, so it's it's very difficult. Then, for example, a couple of weeks ago, we we got a call, and uh, from the same same building, there was two little pups left outside. One was a little archer. They were about approximately five weeks old. They were left out on the hottest day of the year with no water, no nothing. Oh, God. And the little archer eventually passed away. 
Um, the other little one we managed to save, all right. But, but, but you've been back at this place now frequently. You surely know who yeah. was living there. So, But are you powerless to do anything about it? So we... we you see, there's, there's an age, there's an age problem as well, uh-huh. uh, because he's underage. It's very difficult to pin it to, to to get to get justice, really. So Teddy uh, is home and happy and good, Nick. Yeah, he's he's doing very well. He's, um, you know, I, I, quite honestly, I would have fancied moving into the into his new home myself. Um, you know, so we're, we're we're absolutely delighted. He's a happy little chappy, you know. Good for him. Um, Good for him. But unfortunately, as I think I get the sense from you, Morris, there will be another Teddy on another day. Well, there will be, yeah. You yeah. know, um, and if it's not a Teddy, it'll be it'll be something else. You know, it's, um, it's down terrible. here we have we have not only do we have dogs, we have cats, we have we have donkeys, we have goats, we have mm-hmm. you know we haven't any pigs at the moment, but they they have come into us in the past, and we have reptiles as well. So we have four snakes, one is twelve foot. Uh, you know, we have turtles, tarantulas. These are all animals, like I said, being bought by people. And they just aren't suited. I'm, you know? I'm not a fan of snakes. I'd run, I'd run a mile from the most <laughs> harmless of them, but yeah. I still wouldn't like to see them mistreated. No, no, there's there's no need of it. And like I said, it's just um, you know they're not cool. It's it's not. This is this. You know, you need to understand what you're doing. You know, especially yeah. with a twelve footer, because you're going to need to have a certain amount of space and uh, sure. and and try and provide it with a climate that it's used that it that sure. it would be acclimatized to. You know, yeah. so. It's not, you know, there's there's no excuse for it anymore. There's plenty of research, you know. There's we have the internet at our fingers everywhere we go. There's absolutely no excuse for getting animals that you're not suited to because there is so much research. There is many rescues out there also yeah. that uh, you can call, and they will give you the information you require. They will they will put you on the right road, you know. So they will point you in the right direction of the right dog or the right cat, the right animal, whatever it is that you're looking for. Morris, listen, thank you for the work that you're doing um, thank for you. the animals. Take care. No problem. Bye-bye now. That's, uh, thank you, Morris. That's Morris Enright from uh, Listol, Sarah Husky and Animal Rescue. Uh, you know, <laughs> even the very mention of the word snake, and I shiver a little. I hate the damn things. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. but I would not want to see one of them harmed. Just to mention, there is a case opening... This morning, it has started, in fact, in the last hour at the Central Criminal Court. This is an unusual case. It's a murder case, but it's a 40-year-old murder case. This is the case of Noel Long, with an address at Passage West, who was arrested uh, several months ago. He is accused of a murder, of murdering a woman called Nora Sheehan, between June 6th and June 12th, 1981. Her body was found at Shipool Woods uh, nearly a week after she went missing back in 1981. Um, no Long is now 74 and has pleaded not guilty. A jury of eight men and four women has been sworn in to hear the trial at the Central Criminal Court. It be- has just begun in the last hour. And it will continue for approximately four weeks. It's one we will watch. We, I don't think we've had this happen in Cork yet. I don't even know if it's happened in Dublin. You know these eco-protests, a bit like the Just Stop Oil and other such groups, who stick their hands to the road in order to block traffic as part of their whole Just Stop Oil 
eco thing. And look, you feel about that how you feel. I don't care. It's not really for discussion today. Unless you want it to be. But I'm looking at a thing from Germany where these guys decided to block traffic in Germany. And instead of using, say, super glue or anything like that, so they glue their hand and down onto the asphalt and yes, it has to be pulled away and you lose a layer of skin and it's sore and they've made their point and etc, etc. Here's a video of a couple of guys who went to the trouble of mixing concrete dust. I kid you not. They mixed concrete dust and epoxy resin glue. Mixed it into a paste, covered their hands in it and stuck it to the road. And it bonded so tightly and so thoroughly. I'm looking at a video here now of two of these protesters and in order to get them off the road they've had to chip out a square foot of the road surface because the lad's hands are so bound to it. It's like they're webbed. It's Actually it's quite horrible to see. But it turns out that they may have to amputate either their entire hand or at least some of their fingers to get this thing off. <laughs> Sorry, what cause is worth that? It's crazy. I might actually share it myself on my social media at the moment now because someone sent it to me. There they are with their hand. They mixed concrete dust and epoxy resin into a paste and down the road. And now they are literally part of the road. Hideous. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Like, why would you do that? Why the hell would you do that? Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cause 96 FM. All over social media on Sunday, I was watching these pictures and, and short videos from over the city. People thought we were being invaded or what the heck was going on. There were planes flying like it looked like only yards apart over the city. A few of them at the time, small planes. And people, what's going on? What is going on? Are we being invaded? Is there something happening? Is there a, an alert? There was actually a perfectly logical expecta- explanation. These were members of the Air Corps uh, flying in formation for a very significant event. And they were led by Chief Flying Instructor Captain Paul McDermott, um, who joins me now to maybe explain a little bit more of what was happening over our city on Sunday. Paul, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. Yes, indeed. Um, so on Sunday last, um, the Air Corps participated in um, alongside the Army Air Corps and Navy in the National Day of Commemoration, which this year was held in Collins Barracks in Cork. So um, traditionally, we will um, fly uh, over the ceremony 
at a point during the ceremony um, and that's exactly what we were doing this year again so thankfully the weather was nice in Cork on Sunday and um, we were able to provide the fly past as required so in order for us to conduct that fly past um, we obviously there's a number of moving parts um, but what the listeners there in Cork would have seen were the four aircraft um, holding overhead carry line um, in, a, in a relatively loose formation before getting the call from our liaison officer on the ground at the ceremony to tell us to, to come in overhead at a, as a set point in the ceremony. So that's what the people of Cork would have seen yeah. um, on Sunday morning. However, as you can appreciate, there's a lot of working people in the background to make that happen. So there was uh, a lot of people here on the ground in, in Balonnell and Dublin on Sunday morning to get the aircraft ready. Um, briefings for the flight past, checking the weather, refueling the aircraft, air traffic control, etc., etc. And prior to all that, there was a lot of liaison conducted, um, both from a ground element in terms of in Cork itself yeah. and also via air traffic control services here um, to Cork to make sure that everything was in place for the flight pass to happen. Yeah, you were one of the, the, the people flying over our heads. Quite an amount of skill involved in holding a pattern like that, is there, Paul? There is, but again, it's um, it's what we train for here. Yeah. We train all our pilots. Uh, so the aircraft that you saw, the Pilatus PC-9M, is uh, primarily used as a pilot training aircraft here in the Air Corps. Um, and therefore, every pilot, um, every pilot that goes through the system now to train to be a pilot here, um, trains on that actual aircraft. So yes, um, skill required, but equally something that we train for and something that we we practice and hone our skills on regularly. I know that our Air Corps is relatively small, but you're always looking for for new people to join. That might have been a recruitment drive on Sunday if if someone was interested. You are always looking for new pilots, aren't you? Yes, indeed. And, and, and every time we're, we're in the uh, the public eye, we're, we're very aware of that. And we are um, very interested in, in recruiting uh, all the time. A um, couple of different avenues that you can get into the Air Corps. Um, so there's general service recruitment, which provides us with um, airmen and airwomen who will fulfill the roles of everything from security of the base here, air traffic control. Um, we obviously need people to provide um, logistical support here on the ground. Uh, then there's also the avenue of approach of apprenticeship, which provides us with our technicians, so the, the men and women who maintain our aircraft. Mm. Um, and then the third avenue to get into the Air Corps is a cadetship um, with the intention of becoming a pilot. So um, at the moment, um, the um, system that's open um, for recruitment is the general service uh, recruitment. So that's that's live at the moment. And if you What visit, was that, Paul? You, you become a regular soldier first, is that it? And then you move to the Air Corps, or do you go in first day with a view to being a pilot because that's what I suppose I, a lot of young fellas or young women looking up and say I'd like to do that yeah so so we recruit directly for the Air Corps everyone in the Air Corps be it uh, whether you're going to be a pilot technician um, or involved in, in, in the, the larger support services here everyone uh, conducts military training first but we would advertise and recruit people for specific jobs um, so that when they join while well, they start off with all the basic military training, they're, they're focused on what job um, they're going to do at the, at the end uh, once they're completed uh, with their training. Hmm. How long have you been in the Air Corps? How long have you been flying, Paul? Um, so I joined the Air Corps in 2010. Uh, I was winged in 2012. So I've been flying here ever since. And I've been working in the flying training school here since 2015. So You teach as well. Uh, 
Yeah, so as I said, the aircraft that, we, that you saw on Sunday is is primarily used as a pilot training aircraft. So all the staff in the flying training school that were flying uh, at the weekend, um, our, our primary role in this squadron is to, is to instruct uh, or to teach new pilots and to teach instructor pilots. And then we are also tasked with ceremonial flight pass, as yeah. was the case um, on Sunday. And we also use the aircraft in, a, in an armed role as well. So we train with weapons on the aircraft. Yeah, you train right up to fighter pilot level, don't you, even though we don't we're not a combat force but but you do you train right up to fighter, fighter pilot level we we train to maintain a capability for the for the state um, and yeah. with the equipment that we have so yes we do um we do train in in, in all of those areas uh, right up to, to armed support uh, in the aircraft as well yes yeah you have another chance for people to see what you guys do at the Bray Air Show. Now, I know it's it's up the country a bit, but it's it's the end of this month. And that's a spectacular. I've seen I've seen video of it. Yes, indeed. So um, each year, pilots from the Air Corps and, and aircraft from the Air Corps are, are put on show um, at the Bray Air Display. Um, it's the largest air display, I believe, in, in Ireland. Um, and it's definitely quite a spectacle for, for anyone who would be interested on the ground. So if you're on the East Coast on the 29th, Saturday the 29th and Sunday the 30th of July, mm-hmm. um, you'll see lots of different aircraft, including uh, many of the aircraft that we operate here in the Air Corps, yeah. um, displaying to the public on those two days. And some of the most skilled pilots that we have uh, showing us what they're able to do. Captain McDermott, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure, PJ. Thank you very much. Cheers. That's uh, Chief Flying Instructor Captain Paul McDermott. So that's what it was on Sunday. We weren't being invaded or anything like that. (laughs) The Martians weren't landing or whatever. The Russians weren't looking at us. It was our own Air Corps flight in highly skilled formation over the National Day of Commemoration. 0818 96 96 96. I think they're struggling a little bit with this sound today. Uh-huh. That's the sound that'll win you a chance to soak up our boutiques and department stores of Cork and stay overnight in the Clayton Hotel, Cork City, right in the heart of the city. Uh, one night's B&B and dinner for two people, uh, giving it away every day this week on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. It's a sound you might associate with a hotel room. And I'm specifically talking the hotel room. We had the bar, we had the restaurant. But I'm specifically associating this with the hotel room. What is this sound? Okay, I I would have been caught if I didn't know what it was. I'd be quite quite straight with you. Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Tell us what it is and tell us your name. Now, Paul, here's an unusual scheme. If you have a, an old bike that you have um, finished with, but you might want a new one, don't necessarily get rid of it. Don't scrap it. Don't dump it. Trade it in. For a bike, it'll be what, refurbished and sent off to to Africa? Paul, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm very uh, good. Good. Paul here for, uh, from Poicycles in Mallow. Yes. So, basically, it's a rotary initiative, the Rotary Club of Ireland. Yes. Um, whereby um, we take in bicycles, you know, that that's probably are in need of a bit of repair. Yeah. everybody has a bicycle in the shed that they're probably finished with so we take them in and give a, a token value against them 
And from here then they're collected by the Irish Army and brought to the prison services where they're um, using, uh, they're running training courses for, for the people in the prisons to, um, and, and in doing so they refurbish the bikes and then they're shipped off to Gambia and supplied to children for education to get to school. How long has this gone on, Paul? This is a fabulous idea. Yeah, it, it, for, for us, it's, we're really happy to be involved because it's a win-win for everybody. Uh, from the people getting rid of the old bike out of the shed to, to helping guys get a second chance in life to maybe helping people in Africa. So it's, it's, it's been going on for at least a year. Quietly tipping along, and like I'd say, every week somebody comes in and either gives us a bike or asks us to take it as a trade. We've had some some people really generous. And so, yeah, do you give people money for the bike, or is it just a donation? Yeah, so we offer like a small token trading, you know, a small value, and then we just give them to Africa. That's our contribution, or give them to the land. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's we're quite happy to do that, and it also brings brings business to our shops. So we're happy. Sure. And it's the army that takes them from you. Yeah, the army collect them when there's a, a number of bikes gathered up. The army uh, collect them and transport them to the open prisons up in the midlands. Oh, it's in the midlands. It's happening. Yeah, and there's a scheme there where they're training. Uh, to, to be bicycle mechanics, which are badly needed in this country anyway, and uh, and in doing so, then they refurbish the bikes and they're ready to go for use. But my guess is the the secret to success for a lot of people in Gambia is is, is to be able to get to education. You yeah. know that's that's the key. Yeah, and the, the secret to a successful life post prison might be for some fellas to, to learn a, a skill or learn a trade. I know I've been, I haven't been in the, in, in the Midlands, but I, I know what they're able to learn in Cork prison, everything from learning to cook, to woodwork, to all sorts of wonderful trades. And, and they're teaching bike. You say we've a shortage of bicycle mechanics, Paul? Very much so, because it's, um, it's kind of gone a little bit more advanced than, you know, bikes have become a little bit more complicated, yeah. an, especially now with the advent of e-bikes. There's a, a lot more to it, so yeah. mechanics need to be trained. I remember uh, having an old push bike to go to and from school and to and from college, and pretty much the most complicated thing on it was if you'd replaced the brake blocks, you had to try and get that cable right. And, yeah. and, and, but it's, it's a bit more than that now. Yeah, like so, bicycles nowadays have hydraulic brakes, the same as a car or a motorbike. Uh, they have some of some of the gear systems are electronically. Some of them are actually run by Bluetooth. So it's quite. It's it's becoming a trade now. It's a skill. You know, it's not say a handyman's job anymore. Yeah. Uh, so it used yeah. to be. It used to be a fellow would go and literally learn by someone like yours side. And yeah. You, you know, you'd wow. That's amazing. Yeah, so yeah, we're delighted. We're delighted, and and the Rotary Club do some great work, and and we we know for sure these bikes are not be, be going anywhere but where they're intended to go. Yeah, and so they're going out to youngsters who need them. Like you said, in Gambia, your school, yeah. your school yeah. could be twenty miles away. Yeah, and if you have no way of getting there, you miss out on education. So it's wonderful. All, all pretty good. Yeah, yeah. actually, I'm. You know the, the the Tour de France is on at the moment, and the the Giro 
Italian mm-hmm. was on, and isn't the, the the other one is the Spanish, isn't it? The Vuelta España. They're all on together. Do you get a like every Wimbledon you get a surge in the sale of tennis rackets and balls? Do you get a surge in the sale of bikes when there's a Tour de France on? Oh, very much so. Would yeah, yeah. A, a surge in definitely an in interest. And then lately uh, we had the Ross, which is the biggest race in Ireland. Yes, and, and the first Corkman ever won that uh, a couple of weeks ago. Dylan Corkery, and he's from Pantier here. Right. Uh, so in this area, and then Eddie Dunbar, another rider from Pantier, actually was in the Giro. Yeah, and finished he did in the well top too. 10. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Really well. He's not cycling in the tour, is he? in the Tour de France. No, no, not in the tour. No, he's aiming for the Vuelta, the Spanish one. The Vuelta, the Spanish. Yeah. They're yeah. the big three. They're the big. They're the big. And the kind. Of, what, what would be the most popular kind of bike? As I, mean, I remember, I used to have a, I used to have a kind of a mountain bike going to and from college long ago. What, what, what do people buy now? Uh, there's still mountain bikes, absolutely, uh, and you know that transport, knocking around bike, but there's also mountain bikes from mountain biking up in, say, the Ballyhowers and places like that on the yeah. trails. And then there's a new uh, a new line in it, which are e-mountain bikes, which basically have a battery in them mm-hmm. and, a, and, a, and a motor to help you. You don't just sit on them like a motorbike. You have to pedal them, but they yes. assist you. How, how popular are the e-bikes? I see, I see a few of them around. One of my colleagues here has one. They're very Becoming popular. Becoming very popular. I would think 50% of our work now uh, involves e-bikes. Right. Our sales and, and service. It's becoming really popular yeah. in, all, in, all, in all types of cycling. The same with a commuting bike. I suppose it's a bit, um, it's a bit like looking at a tradesman now. Uh, they use a battery drill rather than a hand drill. Yes. You know, uh, people are just... And, and the food mixer is no longer... You don't wind it. That's you, right. Press the button, and the That's bikes true. are coming like that. Yeah, are they an expensive purchase? Uh, realistically, two thousand plus. Right, right. Uh, and there's all sorts. There's cargo bikes that you can carry your whole family or your shopping. Yeah, I've seen those, and they, they have a. I've only this morning actually, as I was driving in, there was a fellow coming against me on the road, and he had it full of what looked to be. <laughs> I think he may have been taking his stuff to the dump or something. He had rubbish bags in the front of it, and it was electronic. Yeah, and there, like there's some like this one of the car bikes, cargo bikes that we do can carry four children safely, you know, in seats. Yeah. Uh, and there's some great initiatives um, with with our revenue system or with, with the bike to work scheme. Yes, like you, can, you can offset for a, for a cargo bike. You can offset up to three thousand euros against your income tax. Really? But, is that still? Because yeah. I thought that it, I thought they'd done away with that. Is that still going on the bike to work? Yeah. Oh, very much so. Yeah, it's a very positive initiative. Um, it's a win-win again for everybody. So you're you're allowed to put the cost of your bicycle and bits and pieces against your income tax, and uh, I suppose it gets less cars on the road and less 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 um, pollution and less traffic. All those wow. things. Uh, yes, yeah, so and quite, you can do, use that for an e-bike as well, can you? Yeah, you can do it for a standard bike, an e-bike, or a car, cargo bike. There's three tiers involved. Um, what you yeah. might want to do is trade in an old one. And yep. send it off. Send it off to Africa via Absolutely. the prison service, mm-hmm. and get a brand new bike for yourself. Paul, pleasure. Thank you very much. And thank you for your time. Cheers. Well, that's Paul from Pie Cycles in Mallow. That's a cool idea, though. Getting those bikes off to Gambia. Now, I, what is this? I would. I would have been completely lost. Lisa, help me here. What is that? Fluffing pillows. The fluffing of pillows. Indeed, yeah. it is. You are off to 
the Clayton Hotel for a night away. Who will you bring? Uh, my friend's coming over in October to get married, so I'm going to bring her for a, a nice night. Nice treat. Yeah. A nice little treat. And you'll be... Uh, she's coming over, when, coming over in October? October. All right. Well, you enjoy the selling... Or you enjoy the, the shops and the boutiques of Cork and spend a night with your mate, uh, B&B and dinner, in the Clayton Hotel City Centre on us. Lisa, thank you for that. We'll do it once more tomorrow. Right, one more sound from the hotel. You're, you're better than I thought you were. I thought that'd catch you. That's it. Program edited by Imro Hay. Produced and researched by Richard Vickery. Thank you for joining the conversation in whatever way you did. And we'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing. Focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.